Five, four, three, two, one, lift off. Hello, it's me, Cam, coming at you with another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. At bare minimum, it will be helpful for me, and your takeaways will depend on what you want to hear right now, what you want to confront, what you want to think about, what you want to translate into your daily existence to make it a more palatable experience. I'm going to say a lot of words on this podcast, and I already say a lot of words on social media, and I don't want anybody feeling anxious that you have to act on all of these things right now, because there's a lot, right? There's a lot to being alive, there's a lot to being human, there's a lot to growth and fostering your potential in a way that perpetuates a healthy, happy, wealthy future. But we can only do all of those things in the now, and no amount of anxiety can possibly change the future, just like No amount of regret can change the past. So, welcome. I am happy that you're here with me. Let's take a moment to pause and ground ourselves because I can already sense myself stumbling over half-baked thoughts in an effort to fill the void when really what I should be doing is creating space for myself. My partner asked me a few months ago whether the long, drawn-out pauses in the podcast are for dramatic effect. I can assure you they are not. It's because I don't know what I'm going to say next. And holding space for yourself allows the space in between to throw you things, right? Because we draw our essence source of the universe, the the thing of life that moves through us, channels through our veins, through our electrical circuitry. That essence comes from the empty, the empty space, the space between two thoughts. As a creative person, as an artist, and I believe that all people are creative, even the people that think they aren't, our brains are just naturally creative. You may think that you are staunchly logical but logic is creativity too it's an ability to piece together data and stimuli in a way that gives you a plausible succinct answer but there are times for logic and there are times for not thinking at all there are times to try and elevate ourselves above the pedestrian level of consciousness with all of the thoughts racing to and fro on their destinations from nowhere to somewhere. And if we can get a couple of stories up above those thoughts and we can sit in the balcony and go, aren't they cute? Look at them go. Look at them go. But when we're in traffic, when we're sitting in the thoughts and it's all banked up and congested and nobody's getting anywhere and you want to get home so that you can be exactly who you are and what you are in a different place, wherever you are, that's where you are if you are. And as a creative person, 
of which you are, of which anybody listening to this is, we need to create space for our thoughts to breathe. And we also need to feed our thoughts different stimuli so that they have different things to think about. If you don't like what you're thinking, change shit up. I mean that in any way you want to take it. I sometimes feel creatively bankrupt, like I've actually said my last possible word and I have nothing left to give you. And these occasions don't come very often and they don't stay very long, but I have learned to flow with those because when I'm inspired, I can sprint and I will get more onto paper during a sprint than I could possibly hope to achieve through eight hours of distracted work that I think I have to do because I think I have to do it? No. If you are in a position, if you've cultivated a life for yourself where you have attention, then you should decide how to spend that attention. And societal factors and cultural norms and influences are going to make you feel like you might need to be focusing on something at 3 p.m., something productive, something that contributes to the capitalistic empire that will build all of our dreams. You will contribute more to your life and to the lives of others when you create breathing space in your own. Space for the in-between to present you with a comfortable silence, a nourishing solitude, something that exists, it just is, something that can be without being something. I'm talking about the space that ideas come from, that music comes from, these little seemingly empty voids from which everything comes. Because you, like me, we're the same in the sense that you and I are both the awareness of what's going on. We are the space in which it all occurs. And in that space, a lot occurs. Both the inside and the outside. There's no, there's no difference. You are a bystander through it all. Your power, of course, is being able to decide and operate and act with this wonderful biological vessel that you have. And through our decision-making and the actions that follow, we can interface with reality in a way that we want to. And really, when we interface with reality, we're interfacing with ourselves. We, as manifestations of the universe, as branches off of this great tree of life, are the universe creating itself actively. And there's a part of you that's been here forever. Your consciousness, this governing force of the universe, this wonderful manifestation that we're allowed to experience, possibly because our brains are so advanced that the actual hardware we have can generate it, can run it. Oh, that's one theory. I am not a neuroscientist, so I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I have a lot of theories, and we'll get to some of those today. But our consciousness is timeless. It is the space where time ceases to be. It is the window beyond the self, the great pool of all oneness and we cannot control anything which is kind of funny really we have this we have awareness it is the most incredible gift to be able to be aware and to be able to ask questions and ponder and create something that's never been created and that's 
what your subconscious mind is. So if your conscious mind is the pilot, so to speak, the thing that can spotlight information within your subconscious realm, within your experience, then your subconscious and the brain that it's running on is the algorithm. It's the, the algorithm that is, it's, it's, it's AI, but organic. It's the original AI, which is funny because we're computers that are building computers that are now making new computers. And it makes me think that computers are a natural manifestation, a natural part of our evolutionary process. The parallels are incredible. So we need to use our conscious mind to slip into the space in between, familiarize ourselves and our minds with flow till flow becomes something familiar, intrinsic, Familiarize our minds with the path of optimism so that on the days that you look down, optimism is still beneath your feet. It is still the path of travel. We need to familiarize ourselves with taking away the notion of I, taking away the notion of me and my, taking away the notion of ownership If we can't take it with us, do we own it? Do you own land or are you its tender, its temporary caretaker, ideally taking care of that land so that it can help future generations to prosper? And I don't mean the next generation. I mean all of the generations because some of our lingo is seriously limiting. We talk about the next generation. We need to... Make sure that we have water. Yeah. Make sure that we have adequate topsoil and nutritious food and that the absurd abundance of resources we have right now is not just hoarded. We need to think about that for the next generation. We don't really care about the ones after that because none of us are going to be around then, right? Like, no, we will still be here. Consciousness will still be here. It will be inhabiting a much more uncomfortable existence. Um, not to get negative, because I was literally just talking about the path of optimism, but I'm, I'll try and loop it back around. It's what we have to do. We need to walk a path of optimism because we will see things in an optimistic light. And sometimes the only way to see things in a way that is beneficial is to decide to see things in that way decide to believe things in that way because do we believe it when we see it or do we see it when we believe it? Cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive belief therapy? Why not take advantage of the absurdly plastic and manipulable nature of this brain we have and update our algorithms to please us, to help us thrive and prosper? And I'm not talking about deluding yourself into reframing the devastating and the catastrophic into something that is just dandy. I mean, reducing the amount of unnecessary suffering in our life by consolidating energy and deciding how we perceive things. And the idea of perception is very important here because really it's what dictates our reality. What we see dictates our reality, what we feel. And 
this thing that interprets it, that interprets our reality, because we have to understand that we're not interpreting everything, right? Your brain feeds you the information and the stimuli that is relevant to you, because if it was all relevant to you, it would be very difficult to do anything. If every blade of grass and drop of dew, shimmering leaves in the trees and cats fighting in the alley was completely relevant to you, where would you go? What would you do? You can't focus on one thing if you're focusing on everything. Hashtag ADHD and neurodivergency. Um, so your ego helps to point out the things that matter to you. Your ego and a little system called the reticular activating system. And you may have heard this. Uh, the reticular activating system is a bundle of nerves that act as a filter, so to speak, a, a lens that filters in things that are relevant to you, both in terms of external stimuli and in terms of thoughts, fixations, directions in life. If you want a new iPhone desperately, then the reticular activating system is going to show you all of the new iPhones and what they can do and how freaking awesome the new camera is. It is awesome. I, I love cameras. But that's what I'm saying is that this thing, it, it feeds you more of what it thinks you want. And it was never really taught, nor was the ego. And I'm starting to view these two mechanisms as very similar things. And, you know, they are oneness, right? There is no separation. Any idea of separation is really an illusion. It's just finding how everything fits together, which it does. But both of these things are intrinsic mechanisms that pursue in an effort to protect and perpetuate. Protect you from the dangers, protect you from things that are fearful and scary and unpredictable and out of your control. And then perpetuate your life by giving you more of what it wants more of what you want. It amplifies that information so that it remains in the forefront of your brain. Both of these systems establish themselves through the imprint of experience. And like all of our systems, they are there to help perpetuate our experience, our existence. They were never taught, though. They were told and they were shown by other egos and other RASs that were not taught. And... It is a loop, a manifestation of history repeating itself until one develops the awareness to break the pattern, break the loop. These are the people that have children and were raised in potentially abusive households. And when they have a child, they will do anything to not end up like their mother, to not end up like their father. And they won't because they're different and because they're aware of it and because they're desperate to make that change, but it's still something that lives with them. Seeing what is possible and knowing how gentle and shapeable and receptive this new little algorithm is. So our first experiences imprint themselves into, I'm going to say, layers of the reticular activating system. And, you know, within our brain, we have 100 billion neurons, trillions of synaptic connections. These neurons are stacked in columns, so to speak, and these are synaptically connected columns. So our, our patterns and our imprints and our experiences are not 
as simple as A to B. They are like interdimensional or multidimensional snakes and ladders. And as the experience continues, the ego consolidates, the RAS consolidates, our reality becomes more solid in itself. Our view of the world becomes something that needs less interpretation, so to speak. We begin to go on autopilot. Our perspectives become habitual. Our patterns of thought and behavior become ritualistic, just ingrained in us. And the RAS continues to filter in information through your neural pathways that you then interpret in a way that is relevant to you. So what I'm saying here is we don't see the same reality. We can't. We haven't had the same experiences. And that's only if we're looking through the eyes of the self. Because when we extrapolate ourselves from that, when we get off of the pedestrian laneways of our minds, we can see that we're all having a universal experience because we are the universe. We all experience the same emotional turmoil and turbulence. We all experience the pangs of anxiety late at night that aren't necessarily related to anything, but you know they're going to interrupt your sleep and you got to get up early tomorrow. We all experience the feeling of dejection when our birthday falls on a weekday and nobody's there to experience it with us. And we say that we don't care and we don't, but we do because we need connection. The experience we share is universal, but we don't interpret it that way because we're stuck in the I, we're stuck in the me, we're stuck behind the eyes that see only what they've been shown to see. And as that information comes in, that personally relevant information gets filtered in, then it goes through a process of interpretation. Interpretation through neural pathways that have been consolidated through a unique human experience, meaning we have a subjective perception of what comes in and a subjective interpretation of what gets in. And then we project it. So reception, interpretation, projection. Three very simplified components of the process that is us, our responsive mechanisms, how we interface with reality. And it's difficult to be aware of all of those processes, but this is how we identify patterns and make alterations. We become aware of our habitual nature, the things we do, the things we say, become aware of when the ego is inflamed, when somebody calls you out in your shit and you instantly get defensive. We all do it. It's hard not to. It's hard to deny that ego's defense and just be receptive to what a person is saying. Be receptive to ways that you can show up in a different, a different manner. So if we haven't been aware of these processes for our entire lives, then it's been a passive process of training all of these systems but we haven't utilized our consciousness. And that's where this comes in of familiarizing our minds with the path of optimism, with the path of self-love, familiarizing our minds with the universal potential that exists within us, familiarizing our minds with flow, what it means to immerse deeply into an experience so that there's no room for thought because mind and body and consciousness are so aligned with their actions that... 
Nothing else needs to come into the picture. You are just being the fullest, most comprehensive, most attuned version of self. So if we don't like how we see things or how we feel about the things that we see or the version of self that responds to what you're seeing and feeling, you can change this. You, you can freaking change this, dude. You can totally do it. I can totally do it. We can totally do it because we have plastic brains. We have brains that they want attention. They want to be shown, but they're stubborn. They want to go back on their own pathways. But when you drive to a new location, and maybe it's an Airbnb out in the countryside, and you didn't realize that it was so far out of town, and now you got to drive there in the, in the dark, and it's a countryside, dude. You could run into a wombat or worse. And you've turned the volume down on the stereo because that'll help your eyes. And finally, you find the Airbnb. And, and then over the next few days, you hang out at the Airbnb and you go into town to get your groceries. And suddenly that path, you could drive it with your eyes closed because you have familiarized yourself with that path. And this is what we need to do with the paths of our thoughts. We need to manually recalibrate things to familiarize our minds with the path of optimism, the path of potential, the path of flow, the path of equanimity, where you are not pushing anything away or pulling anything close. You are in the flow of what it means to be. Familiarize our minds with grace and receptiveness and listening. Familiarizing our minds with calm so that when a situation arrives, when Jason cuts you off in the underground car park and you're late for your nursing shift and he's also late and he's also maybe not having a very good day, but instantly you just want to lay on the horn and you want to, you want to tell him something that sticks with him, something personal. And you've done it before and you'll do it again, but this time you don't. Because you familiarized your mind with the path of optimism. And that means that instead of seeing what you're seeing and feeling personally attacked, personally put into a state of inconvenience, you can see that nothing is personal. And Jason's doing the absolute best he can right now. And he's got a lot of shit going on in his life. And so instead of laying on the horn... You make a mental note to ask him how he's doing when you see him next. And thus you've cultivated a, a cause and effect that manifests happiness, that manifests at least less suffering. And I've just realized something. Reception, interpretation, projection. I mean, it's similar to thought, cause, and effect in Buddhism. In Buddhism... I'm going to speak out of turn here, having not refreshed myself in a little while and reading so much philosophy and just like cherry picking what I want that they're all just infused into this one amalgamation of human experience. So in Buddhism, thought begins the cause which results in the effect. So it all begins with a thought. You water that seed and that thought turns into an action. It's what guides your actions. And those actions have a effect and whether your cause and effect are, if you have a virtuous cause, you'll have a virtuous effect. And if you have a non-virtuous cause, you'll have a non-virtuous effect. And this is 
also the principle of manifestation, not necessarily that you're screaming into the void, asking something to be delivered to you, but that you manifest through your cause and effect a life of abundance, a life of compassion, a life of connection, of laughter, of joy, of community, of wisdom, of learning and sharing and hanging out with your brothers and sisters, having a good time. So what do we do? Decide to see things optimistically. Decide to interpret things optimistically. Decide to respond deliberately to the information you receive to project this optimism so that others may experience and immerse and in turn reflect and project this optimism too. When the world looks like it's on fire and things are going to hell a million ways a second, we only have this because we cannot control the outside. We can't control the inside. All we can control is how we respond to the outside and the inside. In your actions, in your thoughts, in your cause, in your effect, that is how you impact the world. When things seem like they are on fire and we are staring at an uncertain future in terms of our climate and our resources and the global stage and tiny goblins that are making potentially catastrophic decisions because their egos were never taught either? Do you think that Putin had a loving childhood? Do you think he was nourished through connection and love and gentle guiding hands? I don't know. I don't know anything about Putin's childhood, to be honest. I'm just spitballing here. But what I'm saying here is that when you come into contact with people that are not on the vibe and they project something inflammatory, something volatile, something that hurts you, just think back to what this person could have gone through. Because if you look at somebody and you transcend the pedestrian levels of consciousness, take the I out of the situation, realize that what you are is what this person is, but their consciousness and the awareness of the self and the awareness of what it means to be alive and be a human is so bundled up in the misery of everyday experience and the back-breaking burden of feeling suffocated and stuck and impositioned in every way. People that have been hurt, that's what you're coming into contact with. So when they project their energy at you and you have traveled the path of optimism, then when that energy comes into you, travels it on its own. And instead of responding in kind to this individual, you can translate that energy into love and compassion and patience. And you'll begin to see the world in a beautiful, beautiful way. You'll begin to live in a reality of your creating your thought, your cause, your effect, your manifestation. If you continue to cultivate a positive cause and effect, you'll live in a positive, abundant life. Okay, what else did I want to discuss? I'm going to loop back around to the space in between. 
because in order for you to be aware of yourself and of the changes you want to make and the habits you want to change and the patterns you want to disrupt and innovate with, you need the space in between. Because if it's all noise, if all you're doing is listening to content all of the time, and I'm not shaming you right now, then you are preventing your mind's ability to give you anything original that is actually relevant and suitable to you. Your brain is the one that's been living with you this whole time. It might know what you want, but are you giving it space to breathe? When you start a fire, you arrange the timber in a way that allows it to breathe because that spark, its source, is the seemingly empty space and the breeze and the energy that flows in into that void. And if you leave that fire no space, it can't breathe. It will not give you the warmth that you are seeking. You must tend to the fire. You must stack your timber in a way that is thoughtful and deliberate, and then you must attend to it. You must give it your attention. You cannot expect the fire to blaze unless you tend to it. And please don't take this, you know, literally because obviously wildfires happen and I think half of America just carries around lighter fluid in their back pocket. But what starts as a spark of curiosity can end in a blaze if you tend to your fire. It will light up your life, but you must try it. I mean this with your patterns, with your hobbies, with your experiences, with your ambitions. Right now, if I asked you, have you found your passion? Or have you found what makes you passionate? And if you say no, my next question would be, have you tried everything? And your answer might be, well, no. And then my answer to that would be, well, try everything. Just keep trying stuff. And don't just try it once because you're gonna, you know, quite possibly not be very adept at the beginning. But you'll get there. Gotta try things a couple of times. You gotta get over the... You know, initial discomfort and fear and social angst that can come from going and doing a new thing, especially if there are people surrounding you that seem to know exactly what they're doing. And it was like rocking up to a skate park when you're younger and you're super excited. You're ready to go. You got sneakers in your backpack and probably like three iced teas ready to go. And then you rock up and it's just like experts and men. Very nerve-wracking. But if you foster that potential and you give it a shot, people will help to foster it too because everybody that is you know, a true advocate of doing anything wants other people to experience it too. And everybody that's an expert knows how hard it is, how hard it can be to begin something, to take the leap, to actually show up, to say, I'm going to go rock climbing tomorrow, and then you friggin' go, and then you put on these tiny little crampy shoes and everything is bundled up in a package that you feel is just getting blared to the world. Like this could end my entire career if these photos got out. But that's part of it. The embarrassment, it's all part of the process. The fear of putting yourself out there, it's all part of the process. The doubts and insecurities we have before we've begun something because we are so focused on the gap between where we are and where we want to be that we fill that gap with just doubts and insecurities and misgivings and things that keep us stuck because we're stuck in the pedestrian level of consciousness. Got to get out of it. You got to bounce out. And you will find that 
as you go and just experience the world, which you should, that's what we should be here to do. You are the universe experiencing itself from this human experience. So why not go and create and experience as much of yourself as possible before you get folded into the dirt and stone with the rest of yourself? Hmm. So to wrap it up, how do I even wrap up what I just did? I can't believe anybody is still here. That was a neurodivergent maelstrom, one might say. There's a couple of raccoons playing tic-tac-toe in the backyard. Some voodoo magic that's sitting on top of a mountain and screaming into the void and it screams back. So with that, <laughs> I will leave you. What I would like you to focus on this week is checking in with yourself, being mindful of your breathing. If you're looking at your phone, understand that when you do, you are locked into a very narrow focal point and it is natural to funnel our systems into a excited state because our brain thinks that we're hunting, we're focusing on something small and historically we haven't really done that unless we're trying to kill it. Uh, so our breathing gets shallow and our heart rate increases and we start to drip feed cortisol and glutamate and adrenaline into our system and that just leads to an anxious state of mind. So check in with your breathing. Ground yourself. Create space to breathe. Create space to think. Create space to reflect with compassion upon how you see the world and how you interpret what you see and how you project what you interpret and you see. Be mindful of energy and when you can consolidate that by realizing that if somebody's hurting you, it's likely that they're hurting. There are very few people out there that hurt for fun. Very few malevolent individuals. It's just people that need connection and they don't know and there's a lot of barriers in between you and their connection but patience and familiarizing your mind with the path of optimism will allow you to travel that road as frequently and as freely as you would like you will be able to ask yourself on the worst of days how is this the best thing that's ever happened to me how is this shaping me into a more resilient compassionate aware human being. May I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all sentience. And then you call it a day. My friends, thank you for being here. Thank you for staying on this ride. If you enjoyed today's episode, what's wrong with you? Second of all, please leave me a review. Uh, I love you. I'll leave you. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye.